Hey all, Oscar here. Just a very quick reminder that as we enter our ninth year of We Like Movies, it really does us a solid. If you give us a rating, a review, a subscribe on iTunes, check us out on Stitcher, we're even on Spotify now. So we appreciate your continued support. Just help us spread the word. Happy 2019. Oscar Dahl. I'm here with Matthew Knutson and Ryan Julio and Anders Dahl. And this is We Like Movies Avengers Endgame MCU Megapod. Podcasters <laughs> Assemble. <laughs> um, yeah, we have Ryan uh, calling in from, uh, from California, from LA, a uh, friend of the pod. Uh, went to school with Matt and I down at Loyola Marymount. Say hello, Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Avengers fan, Marvel fan, big time movie fan. We're happy to have him back. Then we have uh, my younger brother, Anders Dahl. No formal training, but here to talk Avengers. Yeah. Yeah. You were on the podcast. I want to say like our first, like ten, eight years ago. It was very like early in MCU. It was around. I want to say the Avengers one. It might have been Avengers one. Yeah. That would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Today, obviously, we're going to talk about Endgame. It's kind of a big deal. Might have heard of it. <laughs> but before we get into the meat there, we decided that the four of us are going to do a 90-second lightning round on each MCU movie that came before Endgame. Because it's, I think it's important to set this whole thing up, right guys? Hey, Ryan, remind, remind me, you've, you were on our Ant-Man? I was on the first Ant-Man, yet the first Ant-Man podcast review. Uh, yeah, I think it's good to do a little lightning round considering how much this movie re- is a reflection of all the other... It's almost it's in its of, of itself its own lightning round, this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, yes, we are doing our own time heist through <laughs> yes. all 22 of these movies. <laughs> time heist. Um, okay, so here's yeah. what we're going to do. So I'm going to have a timer, and we're going to do 90 seconds in each film. Uh, Oscar is going to drive the conversation. He's basically just going to, like, tee people up. Yeah. But what's what's going to be our safe word? What, sh- what should I yell? Should I yell Thanos every time we need to move on or whatever? Like snap, I snap. Okay, yeah. I'll just say snap. Yeah, there we go. Either that or time heist. <laughs> okay, so I'm ready, and you obviously have the order in front of you. I got it. Question is, could you do it from memory? I've I've done the Sporkle quiz a number yeah. of times, so I feel feel pretty good. Oh, and my memory, you have to get it right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, put us on the clock, man. All right, here we go. And three, two, one, go. All right, Ryan, you're up first. Iron Man. Checks all the boxes for the current MCU and how things go with just an okay score, occasional needle drops, a sky beam, and fighting a villain that's a mirror of the hero. It's fine. Ooh, I disagree. <laughs> I think it's better than fine. I still think it's a top eight or nine MCU movie. I think it sort of set the template. 
which is really important. And it, you know, it 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 convinced Marvel and Disney and everyone that uh, Iron Man and these secondary characters that weren't really big IP previously could become that. Yeah, I think the cool thing, it was, we take it for granted now, but it was kind of revolutionary at the time because it was much kind of lighter, I mean, even in color tone and the way it was treated as a film, and the not having a secret identity thing at the end was very different than almost every superhero movie that came before, and that was very much a breath of fresh air, I think, for going forward for the the context that they set. It also came out uh, significantly the first year, uh, it came out the same year as The Dark Knight. So yeah. I wanted to make the argument that that 2008 was the red letter year mm-hmm. to kind of, uh, you know, where basically everything changed in terms of how mainstream franchise filmmaking was going to be approached. That's it. Snap. Right. Snap. <laughs> All right, Matt, you're up with Louis Leterrier's greatest oh, work, boy. The Incredible Hulk. <laughs> Haven't seen it in probably at least a decade. Uh, it is the bottom of my ranking that I was looking at last night, but I deserved it deserves another look because I don't think it's a disaster. I would like go, to go. defend that movie as much as possible because despite the fact that the jokes land flat, anything t- anytime he's not a Hulk, it's pretty awful and just boring. The score is pretty good and and the action is actually really good. I revisit the action scenes probably more often than anything else. It is kind of funny that the like the le- the legacy of that film ends up being William Hurt. Like yeah. he's the one who yeah. survived, yeah. right? Like he's he's literally at the funeral at the end. I mean, he's he's way in the background, but he's in the funeral. Well, he's probably been in ten MCU movies at this point. No, he's not that many. I feel like he's in a bunch of them. He shows up every time, like in the. At Shield, he would show he's up. He's in Civil War, and he's in Endgame, and he's in Infinity War. Yeah, and he's a Hulk. Hulk. I think that's it. Oh, that's at least five. Because yeah, when, when he came back in, in Civil War, people were like, "Oh wow, they actually brought him back!" Like it's kind of the first tie back to the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's sort of unfortunate that they used up Tim Roth as an MCU villain so early on in a movie that people <laughs> forgot. He seems like the perfect guy. Um, it's also weird that they we've gone back, we've looked at Sokovia, and we've looked at New York, we look, but nobody ever talks about Harlem. I think I think Bruce yeah, Banner mentions yeah. it one time. Yeah. He's just like, oh, I fucked up Harlem. But other than that, they, <laughs> he said he broke Harlem. Yeah, I think. yeah that's the line. Snap. Iron Man 2. Another kind of bottom of the barrel. They were still kind of figuring out what was going on with how they wanted to go forward with all mm-hmm. these branches. I mean, it did introduce some important stuff. Black Widow shows up for the first time in that mm-hmm. one. Not That's a great funny. introduction. Not a great introduction. I think even in the uh, Endgame press conference, Scarlett took a little jab at Jon Favreau calling herself a uh, sexy secretary. Yeah. And kind of how she <laughs> was proud of how her character evolved from that point. John, of course, jumped in and was like... You were undercover. Like, it wasn't a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is a really fun cast. I mean, Sam Rockwell and mm. uh, Mickey Rourke are really sort of kind of wasted, but also they, they have their fun. I mean, there are things in this movie that are enjoyable, but it is pretty flimsy and, and meaningless at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of a wasted opportunity. Getting Cheadle involved, too, is yeah. fun. I, t- I still think, you know, Rockwell makes it so much fun. And to be fair, that's one of the biggest things with this whole MCU is most often the most entertaining stuff is just the dialogue and the banter, not really the action and not sometimes not even the plot. I really like the idea of Mickey Rourke with a Russian accent. I, I never get tired of that. I know that people make fun of that of that villain, but I thought he was. He loves remarkable. birds quite a bit. <laughs> he says bird in a really weird way. Yeah. And he, but he's got kind of the weakest power. Kind of laser whip. Laser whip. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and yes, yeah, Sam Rockwell dancing also never get tired of that. It's just like it's like a nice, fun, fun contrast. Now, Ryan Kenneth Branagh's Thor. Ah, uh, yes. Honestly, it's probably my least favorite of the Thor trilogy. Everything that happens on Earth is 
super boring and it tracks with the rest of the other two movies but there's so much good stuff and anytime Hiddleston's on screen especially that scene with him berating his dad on the stairs talking about being a, a son that's forgotten it's just all so good when it plays into that everything else is pretty shaky though I rewatched the whole the whole MCU over the last few months and this was <laughs> probably the most forgettable of, of all the movies almost hmm. um, Thor Dark World is it's sort of bad in its own way sort of the MCU's I mean we'll, we'll get there you know I, I kind of fell asleep a couple times during this movie it, it just it, they hadn't figured out who Thor was thinking of the Thor in the original Thor versus the Thor we see in Endgame <laughs> yeah is a, it's pretty stark yeah. contrast also the, uh, the bleached eyebrows for Hemsworth not a good look yeah. I think there really are some high points I mean like when he finally when he finally like does become finally gets the hammer and, he, and this, it's got a very underrated score completely underrated score he and Natalie Portman debatably have the greatest romance in this entire series. Um, just throwing that out there. Wow, I would disagree if considering we just saw Endgame. Matt, Captain America, the first Avenger. Wasn't crazy about it when I first saw it with uh, with Ryan back, uh, you know, whatever it was, six years ago, seven years ago, and it's just risen in esteem for me over the last few years. I've probably watched it three times in the last six months. Up until yesterday, it had my single favorite ending in the entire series. Yeah. I think that last scene is fucking beautiful and makes me cry every time. I'm gonna go out there and, and also say that I, before the timer's over, that this is my favorite MCU movie with a bullet. I'm gonna say it because of the Ashok spirit. I love how close it feels to uh, Rocketeer. I love the Ash, uh, just the Superman we never got in the sort of insulated small story about being a hero. I love this movie. I watch it all the time. Uh, I like this movie much more than I thought I would upon rewatch. Because um, I remember seeing the theater and not sort of being nonplussed. I mean, enjoying how sort of handsome and you know, period PC it was. But I, I think it's risen in steam both. Well, one of the reasons is like it laid the track for a lot of stuff that we saw throughout mm -hmm. the rest of the movies. Like yep. there's so many things in there that came back again and again, whether it's Bucky or Red Skull. The first Infinity Stone. first Infinity Stone. So all that stuff, I mean, it really works a lot better now having seen the rest of the MCU. Also great supporting cast. Stanley Tucci's great. Yeah. Super, Tommy Lee's great. Super stacked. Yeah. Snap. Yeah. And I just love how evil Red Skull is. All right. no, no time heist. We had the snap. <laughs> um, Marvel's The Avengers by Joss Whedon. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. Um, I remember thinking at the time, like, this feels like we've gotten here very, very quickly. I didn't think... I didn't think we'd earned it. I saw again with Ryan after he had spent the entire day watching, you know, AMC was doing the marathon where they yeah. did, and I joined him for like the last two or something. And I honestly was kind of tuned out at the time. I wasn't sold yet. He was still trying to convince me of what this thing was going to be. And then I watched that movie and it was just a fucking pleasure yeah. from end to end. It was just, I, I, at the time I was just like, that was some of the most fun I've ever had in the theater. I didn't realize that I wanted this so badly. I don't think it's aged particularly well. I think the series has gone in more interesting places. But at the time, it was it was kind of revolutionary. I loved it at the time. Uh, upon rewatch recently, I think it is by far the worst Avengers movie. I agree with that. I would agree with that too. And I think it, it's just it's just kind of cheesy, and I, I think the tone's just a little too Whedon-y for my taste these days. <laughs> uh, which which is fine. And, and some of the CGI and action stuff doesn't hold up as well, in my opinion. But I mean, it's still it's still pretty delightful in its own way. 
Yeah, I mean, it has, it has so many kind of iconic moments that, yeah, set the template for what they were going to do. And it was, yeah, at the time, it was revolutionary. Yeah. And then once they realized what they could get away with, it does look almost quaint comparatively. Yeah. I also think it's interesting to see how good writing turns around things like Hulk and Black Widow, as we'll see as it evolves over the course of the next few movies, too. There's a lot of interesting things that the writing helps out with. Snap! Shane Black's Iron Man 3. Oh, one of... It's in my top five, probably. I love it. I love that it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> I love the, the Shane Black dialogue. Yeah. I love the breaking back down of Tony going to, was it Missouri, where he ends up with yeah. the kid and the mechanic aspect of it. I think it's terrific. It's I, I think that they needed to do this, the central conceit being Iron Man without the suit. Yeah. Right? They needed that. And I, yeah. Yeah, I, I do love Shane Black, and I, yeah, I, I think it works really well. It does feel a little smaller than the other, a lot of the other Marvel movies, if yeah. not all of them. Uh, but I think it works really well, and it's a nice sort of outlier different feel than much of the MCU. And the way that they handled the Mandarin, which is kind of Iron Man's yes. iconic Fucking character, brilliant. is brilliant. I exactly. Because so I would say that's my favorite part of that. Kingsley's so good. <laughs> Kingsley comes out of the bathroom with a beard. I don't know. And then it also opens with, it has that amazing prologue in 1999 with the Eiffel 65, yeah, and yeah. that's where she, they first run into Guy Pierce and stuff. Yeah. Was that the first time we had done that sort of, because now that's become a staple, right? Yeah. Of like flashing back decades earlier yeah. to like lay a little bit of track. It might have been the first time. It may have been. It may, I mean, technically, first, Cap, first Captain America yeah. has that pro, but anyway, that, that to me seemed crazy at the time, and I was so Shane Blackie. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that movie has so much more personality, I think. Favreau's got the uh, Travolta from Pulp Fiction hair. Just yes, like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and I remember the marketing, they didn't spoil the Mandarin twist at all. No. Right? No. Which was really cool. Yeah. Snap. We are at, holy shit, Thor The Dark World. <laughs> Ryan, since it's your favorite Marvel movie. Yeah, we may have to give this one, uh, maybe yeah, have to give this one a full two minutes. Yeah. Uh, like I said, Captain America is my favorite. The First Avenger is my favorite Marvel movie. I defend Thor Dark World because if you cut out all the Earth stuff, I love the Asgardian stuff so much, especially, again, Loki stealing the show. I always get kind of emotional with the whole interplay between Loki and his mother, which, you know, Rene Russo gets to have an awesome thing there. Despite the fact that she dies, having her again in Endgame is fantastic. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I love this movie and I revisit it a lot just because of the silly Asgardianness of it. Because as a person who reads a lot of Thor, it's the most Thor of any Thor movie. Yeah, I mean, if you take away the worst half of any movie, then... <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly balanced. Yeah. Perfectly balanced as all things should be. I watched yeah. it. I watched it again last night because Endgame deals so explicitly. I thought that was such a flex. We'll get into it. We talk about Endgame, but that was such a flex on Endgame's part to just go right at Dark World. I just, yeah. I just love that and. I don't think this movie is underrated, but I think it's unfairly maligned. I think it is totally fine. It's, it's not a I think bad it's fine. movie. I mean, the, the dark elves and the main, the head elf, who, who, what's his Malachi? name? Malachi. Malachi. They're disposable, uh, I, they're but I don't think they're weak, bad. Yeah. And yeah. Speaking of uh, collateral damage that they never address again, is they destroy a good portion of London and they never talk about That's it. That's true. <laughs> that is very true. And snap. Matthew, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, the Russo's first entry into the MCU. Yeah, it ranks super high for me. Like Iron Man 3, the one that gets, one of the ones that gets closest to actually having some personality. Ragnarok, probably another one. Mm -hmm. You know, the Russo brothers trying to do Three Days of the Condor or whatever, and I think they're mostly successful. At the time that I first saw it, I hated the third act, and it 
it just seems so bombastic to me. On recent rewatch, I actually think it's pretty smooth and pretty organic and, and pretty moving when Bucky pulls him out of the water at the end. I don't know, this this one, this is one of the most critically acclaimed ones for whatever reason, and I happen to agree with it. It's one of my favorites. It is my actual favorite. Is it? It's yeah. my favorite one. I think the freeway action sequence is the best action sequence of all of the MCU. Interesting. It's the, really the, the full extended Winter Soldier sequence. And I think it was really cool to get Robert Redford as a villain in yeah. a Captain America movie. It's like that's pretty still big deal. Yeah. yeah, the Redford stuff. So that whole yeah. action sequence, the the first uh, Nick Fury like getting yeah. getting yeah. like giving that's Sam true. like a really cool action sequence is nice. I have to note this is the first. I think the, well, I guess Thor: Dark World kind of, but big things falling out of the sky in the third <laughs> acts of MCU. Yeah, this started yeah, that trope, and yeah. it would go on for way too long until they sort of figured out that maybe we can do something differently. Yeah. As big things falling out of the sky goes, though, this I is think good it's my favorite yeah. one. Yeah, uh, honors yes. Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, um, just you know, James Gunn is awesome. the The soundtrack thing was obviously kind of the enduring legacy of that movie. The way that they incorporated all the cool pop songs and gave it all sorts of personality in that way, and then. Just just, uh, you know, turning Chris Pratt from the schlubby seventh lead from Parks and Rec into a super movie star is uh, kind of the ultimate MCU flex, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, Matt, you weren't as big a fan of this movie initially upon release. Uh, I think you maybe have lightened up on it. The earlier. second one endeared me to this one more. Okay. It's pretty low for me still. I think it's a pretty messy movie. But there are some real highlights in it, for sure. Yeah, uh, I think they nailed the casting. Yeah. I, th- I think they got the tone right. Uh, I do think the escape from the prison is still really fucking cool. Yeah. MCU deciding, okay, we're going to make this really silly space movie. And let's see what happens. Like, uh, from this this property that many people didn't know. And this is, like, one of their first big, like, we've taken over the world. Yeah, we can do whatever it, we want. It was a point where, like, DC was hesitating to even make a Wonder Woman movie, Wonder Woman movie. And Marvel's like, yeah, here's a talking tree and a raccoon. Yeah. You know? Like, <laughs> I'm going to go out there, you know. Ryan, you got 20 seconds now. Honestly, it's overrated but fun. And I agree with Knudsen that I like uh, the sequel better than this one. But it's super fun and amazing. And the action is fine, but it's all goes down so easy. Now, Ryan, Avengers, Age of Ultron. Watching this again while recapping every single other movie, I f- agree with you guys that this is a very underrated movie. Um, I don't know why people hate on this so much. I think it's definitely better than Avengers 1. The writing is ridiculously weeded, but there's so many good... All my notes are just quotes, like, at long last, is lasting a little long, or Thor's talking about strained deltoids, or the man wasn't meant to meddle medley. There's so many good quippy things in this that, for me, it's just amazing from the writing standpoint, not to mention how amazing James Spader is as a bad guy. Yeah, James Spader is fucking awesome. And he was perfect for this role. And I think this movie is super underrated. It is unfairly maligned by the masses for some unknown reason. I think it's far superior to the previous Avengers. Uh, yeah, and I, I just love this movie. I think, Matt, you say your favorite scene in all MCU is that... Is the party? Yeah. It's it's right up there. I mean, after Endgame, there's there's some highlights there for sure. But yeah, I mean, that, that party scene is top five for me because it does what I want out of these movies, which is to put them all in a room and let them quit. Yeah. Like, I don't really care about big things falling out of the sky. I don't really care about space battles. But I could watch these characters all get together and flirt and drink all day long. Can I pull a time heist really quick? Sure. Okay. So, <laughs> this is obviously going to be a spoilers heavy podcast. We're going to be spoiling Endgame. So, if you haven't watched it, then watch it and turn it on yeah, now. Turn it on now. Yeah. Marvel guys, Ryan and Honors. When Captain America almost picks up Thor's hammer in, in Ultron, yes. is that, is Captain America not picking it up on purpose to not show up Thor? Is he capable of it at that point? That seems to be the implication. Is yes. that the implication? 
location? Yeah. Okay. You guys, wait, you're saying you're saying that he could pick it up and he decided not to? Is that yes? I would go on more just the actual, the fact that it's referenced, especially by Thor in Endgame, that when he says he knew it, that he had the potential to be worthy. That's I think that's more what it's saying. I will say as soon as he nudged it and we saw where this is going, I had been calling for a while that eventually this will end up hammer in one hand and a shield in the other. So I think that's kind of where they're leading toward. I heard a very nerdy fan theory the other day. In order to pick up the hammer, you have to be worthy, right? And the fact that Steve Rogers knew that Bucky had killed... This gets super nerdy. Oh. That, but that Steve Rogers knew that Bucky had killed Tony Stark's parents. Because he knew that it hadn't told Tony yet, he technically had a guilty conscience. And as a result, he yeah. wasn't worthy yet until he got that off of I his conscience. So once he passes that... I mean, that's just, I that's just a theory. But, but... The, so, so, so... <laughs> I don't know the comics. Like, there is precedent for Captain America to wield the yeah. hammer? There's precedent for anyone. Even one of my favorite moments, Superman has actually wielded the hammer because of, like, crossover things. Anyone can do it at any certain point, just given the moment and circumstances of it, which is also why Vision gets to pick it up and, you know, feel how delicately balanced it is, you know? And a really easy way to just prove that Vision is worthy and a good guy is just like, oh, we can hold the hammer. Yeah. Let's all move on. Yeah. yeah. All right, time heist over. Okay, but I think the point of that is that that scene where they all try and pick the, up the hammer, that is what this series can do. Yes. You can put all those people in yes. the room and you can make a joke out of that and it's a fucking delightful thing. It's, yeah. just, it's one of the best, one of the greatest scenes in the well, entire series. Well, it sets the stage for something that happens eight films down the line. Yeah. Right. Which is yeah. Cool. yeah. But it's a character moment. It's not, yeah. It has nothing to do with explosions and that's what Wheaton does best. And restart. Ant-Man. Ryan. I'm actually gonna forward this over to Anders because you can listen to a podcast where we talked about this for a while. I still love this movie and I love especially the father-daughter dynamics. I'm very curious what Anders thinks. I, I agree. I think it's underrated. Another casting stroke of genius was Paul Rudd. Of course. Getting Paul Rudd involved in anything is always a good idea. Speaking of what Matt was talking about, the, one of my favorite flashbacks is the beginning of that movie where you have Howard Stark and Michael Douglas and Peggy Carter all in that room together. Yeah. And uh, Douglas clocks the Hydra guy. Yeah. And like, that's a great scene. Michael Douglas doing all the exposition throughout the entire movie makes it great because it's Michael Douglas. Yeah. You know? and, and it's fun. It's, it's a little more intimate and smaller scale. And the relationship with his daughter, Cassie, is excellent. It's just a fun flick. I just love how Douglas is Hank Pym just kind of an asshole. Like, yeah, and that's true to the comics. And a different kind of yeah. asshole than Howard Stark. Right? And that's what Douglas has spent most of his career perfecting, right? Yeah. If you look through Wall Street and Basic Instinct and even Romancing the Stone and Fatal Attraction, yeah. nobody does asshole better. I mean, yeah. he's always charismatic, but... Yeah. And yeah, and that opening scene was when they were just like, look what we can do with this de-aging technology. Mm -hmm. We've we've cracked the code. Who knows where we'll go from here. I think we're going to go toward Gemini, if you guys saw that trailer. That, that's where we're headed. Oh, yeah, God. and maybe that's... <laughs> maybe that's not such a good thing. Maybe we've opened Pandora's box. And snap. All right. Matt, Captain America, Civil War. It's my favorite one. Ooh. It's it's my favorite one with a bullet, uh, even after seeing Endgame. I feel like that's a somewhat controversial opinion because recently I've heard a lot of negativity towards this movie. I don't know why. Like Iron Man 2 and Age of Ultron, I feel like it's the one that has the most business to do. It has the most housekeeping to do. Yeah. And it does it so elegantly and so effectively. And it has quite possibly the greatest action scene in this entire series in the airport deal. And then it has quite possibly my favorite climactic scene, which is just three people in a room working it out <laughs> as opposed to big things falling out of the sky uh, I just love this movie so much it's it's probably the one I watch the most and they found a way to have that big action scene not have any collateral damage by being in an empty airport which yeah, is yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. It's like, like we can solve that problem and then you know it also really deftly introduces both Black Panther and Spider-Man without too much backstory and the kind of they naturally fit into the arc of the movie Black Panther's got a great arc through that movie where he goes from vengeance to forgiveness it's, yeah. Uh, yeah it's really well done well, yeah the Spider-Man intro with Marissa Tomei is 
is really good. Yeah. Just just Marvel again showing their good instincts, not having to do a Spider-Man origin, just knowing that the audience has a history with that character no matter what. Yeah, yeah I think it's I think it's up there. It's probably top five for me. Yeah, it's probably top five. Do you guys think it should be should have been called an Avengers movie? Probably, but it no. doesn't bother me. I think it, it kind of fits in with the whole. Now that we see the scope of Captain America's arc, it fits in perfectly. And snap. Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange has some issues, obviously, because it's pretty much similar to Iron Man's origin story. There are so many amazing things about this movie. Obviously, the trippy sequence is one of probably the most visually interesting thing I've ever seen in a movie theater. That blew my mind. Sure. I think my favorite part of this is how inventive the ending is. That time loop thing with the uh, Dormammu I've come to bargain. Really interesting. And despite the fact that there is a bit of a sky beam thing, that's also happening while everything is going in reverse and then also freezes time. I don't think this movie gets enough credit for how inventive the, uh, a lot of the set pieces are because so much of it is focused on Cumberbatch's bad uh, accents or just sort of like similar origin asshole story. But I love this movie and I'm excited to see where the Strange franchise goes because that's where we can kind of get more and more crazy. For a franchise that has had sort of third act issues in my mind and some of the stuff has become rote to have an interesting, cool, different third act is yeah. really cool, especially with watches and stuff yeah. that gets blown up, get put back together. Is yeah, cool. Really yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I think it's the most visually uh, distinct mm-hmm. of these 22 yeah. films by far. And snap. All right, Matt, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I really love it. And I was surprised how much I loved it because I didn't like the first one very much. And I like that it's a sort of a kind of its own thing on the planet with Kurt Russell and it doesn't have the deal with so much heavy lifting that mm-hmm. the original had to. Now that we've laid the track, we can actually just go and have fun with these characters. And it really endeared me to all of them. And I also like that it's a love letter to Michael Rooker. Yeah. Like that just made it just like nobody saw that coming except for James Gunn. And I just think it's fucking adorable. Yeah, but to spend $200 million and make a Michael Rooker movie. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, I mean, it's it's a movie about fathers and sons, yeah. and it has a, and it's got one of the great tearjerker endings in the series, mm-hmm. I think, as well. Yeah, that that still gets me every single time, especially now as a father myself. The whole dynamic with that is really brilliant, and who knew that we were gonna like tear up when you have a crying raccoon? That's insane. <laughs> well, plus it has that. Speaking of fathers and sons, it has a field of dreams moment, like yeah. when he takes the ball of energy and he yeah. passes it to him, and then they start throwing it back. It's yeah. like yes. <laughs> Catch Dad. Oh, it's the best. Great first scene, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the Mr. Blue Sky. Yeah. Blue Sky, yeah. And it's also a movie about sisterhood. I mean, yeah. okay, so let's say it's a movie about families, but I love that they really dig deep with that Nebula uh, Gamora stuff because I just, I'm fascinated yeah. by that dynamic. And snap. Honor, Spider Man Homecoming. Uh, I love it. I've, I've been a Spider Man guy my whole life. Spider Man 2 is still in my upper tier of all comic book movies mm-hmm. ever. I would have to agree with that. You kind of spoke on this earlier, Oscar. The way that they were able to just be like, okay, the audience understands where Spider Man comes from. Yeah, we don't need to rehash any of this. We don't need to talk about Uncle Ben. Here's Spider Man. He's in high school. Let's just go. Yeah, and you know it's it's a light. It's fun. It's fun to recontextualize Spider Man back into the high school age as opposed to kind of pushing him forward in yeah. life. Keaton is great. The big twist at the end where you realize Keaton's the dad is yeah. a great great scene. Mm-hmm. That car scene where he's kind of menacing and talking to him before the uh, homecoming dance is mm-hmm. one of my favorite scenes in the whole series. It's, it's you know it's good. It's nothing groundbreaking or crazy. I'm also like a huge Spider Man guy my whole entire life, and I will say if we didn't have Spider-Verse which is probably my now favorite Spider-Man iteration aside from Spider-Man 2 it's really really good I mean it sets up a lot of the important stuff that we need to know about Peter Parker as a character which we really never got in the heart that 
we have here. And it shows, again, in Endgame, too, just how much it means to everybody to have, like, a young kid in the middle of all this. And it introduced the character Ned, who's, like, one of my favorite sidekicks ever. That's so good. I just love that friendship so much. Yeah. That, that Everything that guy does make, makes me laugh for some reason. And the Zendaya iteration of MJ is great, too. Snap. Brian, Thor Ragnarok. As someone who always defends Dark World, I was kind of going into Ragnarok meh. Uh, and then when it came out, I was actually also with you guys. It was fine. But on rewatch, it is getting better on me. And I think the humor does get better the more times you watch it, especially the whole Thor in the chair. You're about to meet the Grandmaster. Prepare yourself. I love that stuff. It just showed a little bit of like we needed to find out how not just Thor worked in the universe, but how Chris Hemsworth is best. And I think it really showed that he's a comedic actor. And as a result of this movie, he isn't done with Thor. Now he may stick around as we've now seen at the end of Endgame. It's fine. It's pretty fun. And it's just another good episode amongst other things. I like this better upon rewatch too. Um, I think there's just enough gold bloom. Like his first scene is freaking incredible and hilarious. <laughs> uh, but they don't overuse him, which I think is a smart choice. Um, I think contrary to the other Thor movies, I like the non-Asgard stuff in this movie a lot better than the Asgard stuff. Yeah. As great as Kate Blanchett is, there's just not too much story going on there. Mm-hmm. He's sort of kicking the can down the road sometimes. I, I love Taika Waititi being involved in, yeah. the, in the universe. Korg is a, one of my favorite Korg, characters Korg's in the whole great. series. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not crazy about this movie. I think it's a little bit smug, but it's overdue for a rewatch. And snap. Matt, Black Panther. Black Panther. Clearly the most critically acclaimed, right? It was nominated for fucking Best Picture. And in that regard, it will always be a bit of a, a touchstone film. Um, It's just not a movie that I think about very much. I enjoyed the hell out of it uh, the first time I saw it in the theater, and it's worked pretty well upon rewatch. It, I think it has the greatest villain in the series, and in that regard, it will always be an important film for this series. I hate the fact that they killed him off. I think there was a lot left to do with that. Obviously, this series has set a precedent for being able to bring people back from the dead and stuff, but that felt pretty finite to me. Regardless, I I think Michael B. Jordan lifts this movie up to an echelon that we hadn't seen up to this point. Yeah, that last line he has is kind of the the realest line that any villain in the whole series has ever spoken, you know? Yeah. Like, the actual real-world implications and socio-everything. And maybe this was when the MCU got legitimized, right? Yeah. Like, they, this was a crossover film for a number of reasons. Not just getting nominated for Best Picture, but bringing a lot of people into the MCU. I think full. it was a big entry point for a lot of people. Yeah. And the amount of time between Black Panther and Endgame, I, I guarantee a ton of people caught up on the yeah. entire series. I do find it interesting, though, Matt, that you mentioned that uh, you don't think about that often. And I will say, out of all the ones here, it was the only one that I kind of dozed off a little on. Maybe it's because it's been so present, we've talked about it so much. Not that it loses luster, it's just, it's not one of my favorites. And snap. All right, uh, Anders, Avengers Infinity War. Infinity War, wow. I think, main thing I think about with Infinity War is how Marvel just ditched any sort of hand-holding when going into Infinity War. They're like, you need to have all of this context figured out. We're not explaining anything to you. Like, here's here's the wizard with the Hulk and yeah. this guy with the purple glove and like everyone, you just need to know what's going on. We're not gonna yeah. walk you through this. And because of that, it's able to pace itself and incorporate all these characters and, you know, it drives and having Thanos be the antagonist and it's basically his story and everything moves around him. Yeah. Is, uh, you know, it, it's a very tough line to walk and I think the Russos kind of nailed it. Like, I don't know how you could make that movie without it in any other way, you know? One of the big We Like Movies tropes is degree of difficulty and I think this movie had the highest degree of difficulty and I think they pulled it off to great aplomb. I and mean, you mentioned Thanos as the 
antagonist. I think he's the protagonist. That's of the what movie. I mean. I, you know, I didn't go to film school. And and, and, and that's <laughs> well, and that seems like an obvious choice, yeah. but it was a risk. It was a risk, yeah. and it worked out perfectly because yeah. that was the most natural way to bring in all the characters. Have this be Thanos' journey and follow him around mm-hmm. on his Infinity Stone quest. I think it's my favorite Avengers movie, even after uh, seeing Endgame last night. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Just just because it was it was unexpected, and you know, it, it, it's easier. To, I mean, they didn't wrap things up, so right. and, and the end snap is uh, obviously iconic and something yeah. a lot of people didn't expect to, to happen. It's kind of the uh, the Luke, I am your father for a, a new generation. Yeah, That's absolutely. a big moment. If I could invoke a uh, time heist here to stop for things really quick, positive question to both uh, Oscar and Matt now. How do you guys feel that this holds up now that we've seen Endgame? Do you think it actually was more of a this is a part A and B or is it two separate movies? I know that's something that they initially had thought and then they separated it and I'm curious where you guys think of that reflecting on it after we've seen Endgame. I'm going to need more time to reflect <laughs> upon Endgame. We knew that characters were coming back so they, we knew they were going to reverse it. However, I, I do still feel like maybe Infinity War loses a little bit of its impact based on what we saw in Endgame as inevitable as that, that might have been. I think you can look at it as one big movie. Yeah, You can, but I like the fact that they're not. I like the fact that they're separated. I like the fact they're not called Infinity War Part 1 and 2. Yeah. I, I respect that decision. I will say that Endgame retroactively makes me appreciate Infinity War more, which is not a revolutionary thing to say, but I wasn't crazy about Infinity War at the time, and I've liked it more every time I've watched it, and now I really like it that much more that I've seen Endgame. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and it, knowing that they had both parts allowed them to do some stuff in Infinity War, like Cap has a very small role in it, because they knew that they were going to like reward that later on. You know, Hawkeye and Ant-Man aren't even in it, and they're super important Endgame, and you know they were able to kind of pick their spots with the different characters. You know, making them back to back gave them the figure that out, yeah. as opposed to you know sequels down. Yeah. And in the category of flexing, the fact that they took characters like lesser characters that people maybe like less or know less about, Ant Man and Hawkeye, for example, I just love the fact they're like, no, they, these are the guys we're, we're saving yeah. for like the you know the final Endgame. I just yeah. think that's such a confident move on Marvel's part. I think it does work better when you look at it as Infinity War as Thanos's movie, and then Endgame as an Avengers movie. And I only thought of this now because uh, Oscar was saying it and it does even that whole thing frames the whole thing a little bit better for me so it's a nice A and B I think for me Ryan Ant-Man and the Wasp Uh, I love this movie I I am always tickled how they use these literally small movies to book uh, not book in but to follow up an Avengers movie I love they keep playing into this whole father-daughter thing not only with uh, Cassie and Scott Lang but also the ghost and uh, all that stuff it's all pretty good I mean the whole chase sequence thing at the end's great um a lot of great supporting characters it's just one of those really fun episodic things and my only thing that i'm mostly bummed about is that we lose i don't know who the actress is but the little girl cassie in this is like one of my favorite supporting actors. she's so sweet and i'm kind of bummed that we got the older one in endgame but there's also reasons why we got her which we'll talk about later no, I think you're right. It is a nice digestif to the Avengers. It's the sorbet to the Avengers uh, steak. I yeah, no, I I love these movies. I could I could watch an Ant Man movie every year. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, if you if you put a gun to my head, I don't think I could tell you what this movie's about. It just went in one eye and out the other. That being said, I remember vividly having a great time, which I think is yeah. sort of yeah. what Ant Man's aspirations. It's got Walton Goggins, it's got Lawrence Fishburne, it's got Tim Heidecker. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and snap. Um, all right, Matt, Captain Marvel. Yeah, I watched it again last night, um, right before seeing Endgame for my second time, uh, because I feel like I didn't give it a chance the first time, and I've been pretty negative towards it for the last month or so, and um, and I liked it a lot more last night. I think it's very messy. I think it's a little bit of a missed opportunity, 
And I think it just sort of reinforces for me that I, the thing that I care least about in this series is anything involving space. And I just don't care about the Galactic. And I think that's maybe why Guardians of the Galaxy just didn't really work for me, because just the subject matter I don't care that much about. Mm-hmm. I think Bowden and Fleck kind of missed an opportunity to get to make something really special with this character and this subject matter. That being said, it's totally serviceable, mm-hmm. and I buy all the stuff between Brie Larson and Samuel L. Jackson. And it does make me interested to see where this character goes from here. You know, an argument has been made that she's the most powerful. I, th- I think they yeah. missed a lot of opportunities here. I think there was some low-hanging fruit that they... I mean, there's just a bunch of clunky shit going on in yeah. this movie, whether it's dialogue or story points or pacing or tone. Some of the music cues are a little yeah. cliche. Yeah, the music yeah. cues are, yeah. are, are yeah. Suicide Squad-esque. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that said, yeah, I think it, I think it's fine, and Brie Larson's good, and the Brie Larson, Sam Jackson yeah, stuff really sings. Ben Mendelsohn's great. Yeah. Ben Mendelsohn is great with, with a character that was probably very difficult. You know, having to act through that fucking yeah. prosthetic and everything. It just goes to show you that Ben Mendelsohn, he's a treasure. Man, yeah. he's yeah. one of our best. All right, uh, Spider-Man: Far From Home, Oscar. So, guys, we're gonna start here. Um, <laughs> am I to believe at the end of Endgame, Spider-Man's walking back into the high school to see Ned, but some people have aged five years? Yeah, that's pretty messy. I don't know what's going on there. It could very well take place before Infinity War, right? Spider-Man: Far From Home. I, it's my understanding that they have confirmed it takes place after Endgame. Oh, okay. okay. I, I think Feige said in an interview, or someone has put that out in, okay. into the universe. So I've got some time travel back to the future type <laughs> questions here. Clearly, yeah. nothing, clearly, shit didn't revert back to previous times, right? No, they just brought everyone that had disappeared into the five year present. So there's a five year time gap between half the people and the other half of the people, right? But for them, I presume yeah. it's it's felt like nothing, right? Yeah, this is it's been so, immediate. So some people have aged five years, and other people haven't, right? So so what, half of Spider Man's class has graduated. Well, yeah, wouldn't Ned be in college? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he'd be five years later. He'd be 24 years old or whatever. Yeah, right? so, yeah. well, I guess we're to assume Ned did not, or he did get snapped. Yes, he and Peter yes. both he did. did. That. Because yeah. they're, they're both still the same age, okay. right? Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. And everyone, I assume everyone in Spider-Man's life also got snapped because they'll be the same age in Spider-Man Far From Home. <laughs> yes. <Yeah, that's laughs> convenient plot point, but that's all right. Yeah. clearly, yeah. Yeah. Still, still looking, uh, yeah. yeah. All right, so we knew that there was going to be a time travel. Honors, we talked about Back to the Future 2-ing it. That did happen. They even fully referenced Back to the Future 2 in the movie, which is great, yeah. But they referenced how it was bullshit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I didn't know Thanos was going to get killed so quickly. That was a little jarring. I didn't think that was going to happen either. So let's just go around the room, get some really quick initial thoughts, and then we'll get to the meat of it. Ryan, quick thoughts. I honestly, when I get, went into this movie after watching all the MCU, I was kind of down on the whole thing because it kind of reminded me of this whole uh, serialized TV thing that like nothing ever ends. It's my whole frustration with Game of Thrones now that like only now are we finally getting all these story points ending and ends of arcs. So going into it, I was pretty down just because it's like as much as I love comics, I just get tired of having to like wait till something happens in the next one. I love just the finality of some stories here. Like, I'm glad that things are ending, and for the first time in a long time, we don't know where this is going to go. I and mean, I have some ideas. I loved just really satisfying ends of stories, because that's, at the, at the end of the day, what we want. We want to have some sort of ending, whether it's happy or tragic, I want to have that. It only took, you know, freaking 10 years to get to some of these things, but sometimes it paid off, sometimes a little bit of threads hanging that I could get into, but I, in, in the end of the day, was just happy to have unending, regardless of even what it was. Yeah, I mean, I think that has been a criticism of the franchise that they've been unwilling to kill people. I mean, we thought Cheadle was going to die in the, what, Iron Man 3, right? Or no. Yeah, and I still think that's a big, their biggest wasted opportunity in, in um, Civil War. Yeah. Um, and they're just unwilling to kill off characters in, 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 a, in a world where people should be 
being killed off, right? I agree that the finality of some of the storylines, you know, was was necessary and it, it feels good. And now we have a nice jumping off point for Phase Four or whatever it is. Um, Matt, any you know, thoughts? When I walked out of it the other night, I was just like, "That's the fucking best one." We've we've been building to this for. 11 years or whatever it's been and I've sort of shrugged my shoulders through it I've sort of made fun of it as being like a lot of you know solid B's and B minuses and the cumulative effect of it all has all of a sudden turned me into an absolute super fan and like when I got home from my second viewing of it last night I was just like all I want to do is watch Marvel movies right now yeah. which is probably the best compliment I could give it and I went home and I watched Thor The Dark World you know I'll probably go home and watch The Incredible yeah. Hulk or something tonight right yeah. I love it this movie fucking rocks it did everything I wanted from a Marvel movie it has a finality to it which, which is what we've sort of been waiting for and what we've like you were saying what we found frustrating mm-hmm. through so much of this journey as much as I don't care about uh, galactic stuff and space stuff I do care very much about time travel yeah. <laughs> and the fact that this movie goes right at time travel and I already kind of knew that it was going to be a sort of a vague Back to the Future 2 thing what I didn't know is that it was it was not just going to be Back to the Future it was also going to be Inception right, yeah, right yeah. I mean they go they, they go down another level while they're already doing the heist and I was just like alright I'm in you got me yeah. this is great I, I'm loving all of this so I don't care as much about the third act and the, the huge you know Lord of the Rings battle as much I think a lot of it works really great but where this movie really flies for me is the aforementioned time heist and to me it's so much fun yeah. and if I had to pick like one particular sequence it would be them revisiting the first Avengers mm-hmm. and going and getting and all the stuff going on after the battle and all the Loki mm-hmm. stuff and then <laughs> Captain America fighting himself and Hail Hydra like that was it was that was the high point for me <laughs> the Hail Hydra moment in the elevator is probably the high point of it, it got it got far and away the biggest laugh yeah. both times I've yeah. seen <laughs> or Captain America calling his own ass America's ass oh yeah. god and then, when, <laughs> and, then yeah. he's, and then when he says I could do this all day yeah I know yeah. <laughs> oh, it's perfect, and you and honestly, it it took twenty three movies to get to the point where that joke can land like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll go back to something you, you said early on, which is it's underrated, and we need to appreciate how the commitment to the story through twenty three films, mm-hmm. the fact that there wasn't much retconning, the fact that they knew they knew where this was going. And they committed to it. I'm, I'm the sure they that were planted many, many movies ago. Yes, and, and I'm yeah. sure they along the way they zigged and zagged and made changes, but they really were committed to getting to this point. And I, and I just love. I mean, obviously, I loved it. I think it was you know the culmination of everything, and the way that they were able to go and revisit these movies through the time heist thing was so inspired. And mm-hmm. like you know, for me, the emo- the most emotional moment wasn't the end with Tony. It was the scene where he speaks with his father. Yeah, and great. that was just yeah. such a great way to kind of finish that arc. And he now has the kid, and the context of that was just beautiful. The way that they yeah they they, they were able to you know complete so many of these arcs. The Nat Clint scene where they had to fight each other for. Mm-hmm. Sacrificing themselves was just loaded with all that emotion, and you know, I, I need to see it again, and I need some more time with it. Um, you know, th- there are moments throughout that feel like, okay, this is overly fan servicey, but then I'm telling myself, well, of course, this is the end game. This is yeah. what it's all about. Right? right? This is the culmination. This is why they made all those movies. And of course, you have to service the people who have been there the entire time. And this is what that movie's all about. And, and you know, getting into the time heist, getting into you know, time travel stuff. I think they, because it is silly. But they went about it well. Like the acquisition's good. Tony figuring it out is good. 
Um, you know, coming to Tony in the woods. I like how everyone just escapes to the woods when they're distraught. Wash, or to Asia. Thor is my favorite character maybe ever. Yeah, like, him <laughs> and Korg and Meek playing, you know, Fortnite, like, yeah. just drinking beers yeah, is just exactly. so great. I, I, that just tickled me. We need that know. movie. We yeah. need we need that yeah. prequel, right? I just like how they committed yeah. to Fat Thor the entire film, yeah. too, yeah. which is fucking fantastic. Yeah. I know I started off with a kind of a little trepidation going into this, and I'm, honors will be the same way. As someone who's read comic books for so long, I know, Matt, the end ending of this movie gets a little bit gobbledygooky I'm sure for you and like a CG mess for me that is the culmination of just all the things that I've ever wanted to see for, since I was like four years old all these things happening all at once I, they earned it and I know you mentioned like you love Civil War's version of that I think in retrospect I do love that and it is you know it's it's has a lot of its own things but the amazing amount of just reveals and when finally everyone shows up and culminated by him finally saying for the first time in the entire series assemble is just you know goosebumps man and Everything about this movie, I want to try to nitpick at and say it is fan servicey, but that's the whole point. Is like you can't get to this point without fans, and that's the point that they, I think, realize that everything gets on the table. Everything can be as nitpicked apart from a comic book fan to a movie fan, and it's just like so much fun. And it's probably one of the most fun crowd viewings I've ever seen. We had people behind us at, the, at our screening who were just bawling the entire time yeah. just loud crying it's super emotional like yeah. I would recommend you know hopefully anybody who's listening to this has already seen the film because we're obviously spoiling so much stuff if you are planning on seeing it again I would say do it sooner than later like go see it with a crowd because it's mm-hmm. com- it's definitely a, a movie that has so much like crowd interaction people crying people yelling people climbing people are fucking losing their minds when Black Panther comes back at the end mm-hmm. you know when he walks through the portal at the end when Spider-Man comes back I mean, people are deeply, deeply committed to this stuff. And in that regard, I think the best way to describe this is it is a three-hour love letter to the people who care about this stuff. Mm -hmm. Not just about comics, but about this particular cinematic series. You're rewarding the 11-year commitment you've made to all these movies. And the more you know about them and the more details you remember from them, the more I think you get out of this film. And I also thought it was so cool how many of the kind of different supporting actors that they brought back into the fold that were surprises that kept popping up. Like, they got Robert Redford to come back. Yeah. They got Tilda Swinton to yeah. come back. Yeah. They got Natalie Portman to come back. You yes. know, all these people that you thought were probably one and done. They're like, no, they were, they were willing to show up and, you know, do their little part. And I think that was really cool and a testament to what they've created is that so many people are yeah. thrilled to be Rene a part Russo of Russo. Rene Russo had a great scene. role. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You were talking about, you know, Tony and his dad. They give Thor and his mom uh, a you know, they give they give them a final moment that they didn't get in Thor: The Dark World. He finally gets to have he gets to say goodbye and I love you to his mom, which he didn't get mm-hmm. in the most disliked <laughs> movie in the MCU. Yeah. So in that regard, it, it kind of I don't know fixes that movie. Is it weird to any of you guys that maybe the third or fourth most screen time in this movie goes to Nebula? <laughs> She she got a huge arc in that film. Yeah, yeah. she really did. I mean, yeah. she's important. She's the daughter of Thanos. Yeah, you never could have convinced me yeah. in you know 2012, you know whatever it was, 2014 when uh, Guardians of the Galaxy came out <laughs> that that character was gonna almost become like the linchpin of this yeah. entire endeavor. Yeah. And it's great. I love it. I mean, I'm probably giving you a little too much information about myself, but like. Of the female characters, she's one of the ones I'm most like sexually attracted to, and um, and it was, and I felt that way before I knew what Karen Gillan looked like out of the outfit, and I was like, oh my god, she's she's almost as beautiful without all the blue stuff on her face. Um, so yeah, it's crazy that they've really really leaned into that character. Were you attracted to Joan Rivers' robot? <laughs> That's for a different podcast. Oh boy! For you guys, were there any uh, any false notes in this movie? Anything that problem with trying to nitpick this movie is if you're into it this far, Oscar, you've been saying this 
for years now talking about this whole thing. It's just a comic book movie, and that's all we're looking for. We're looking, you got a chick on a flying horse that's playing with Spider-Man, and, and like any nitpickery that you can do is just out of contrarianism. If you're not into this when you go into the theater to like watch Captain America pick up a hammer and throw it, that's and then what else are you into? I mean, you're, you're, this is not for you. I, I agree. I, I've read a couple of uh, anti-Endgame articles, some, some, some think pieces, some op-eds. And at the end of the day, you're just like, dude, it's a comic it's book a comic movie. movie yeah. And, you know, we, the fans, are kind, we kind of have it both ways because you play placing importance on it. But then any criticism, you're like, it's not important. There's, there's, nothing, there's nothing big enough in this movie that, yeah. that rings false that's... That's too. I mean, it's it's already in its own way like a cynical endeavor because it's Disney and it's Marvel or whatever. So as long as you can compartmentalize that and throw right. that away, who gives a <laughs> shit, right? I mean, you can give yourself a headache if you really think about the time travel implications and the different threads and all that. But you know, it, it's whatever. It's it's a time travel. They better fucking address the five year. Time yeah, they, they have. That's that's my only. It's so issue. funny that that's your. <laughs> <laughs> I assume the Spider Man movie has to talk about that. Like it's got to be the yeah. opening scene. They have to you know contextualize that for like how. How does the world work now? Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, I think that's the best way to do it because it's like you know, it's the, one of the few franchises that is pretty grounded, like an actual city, and I think that's the reason why it's the capping or it's, it's the cap of uh, Phase Three because it ends back at home in New York or not in New York, it's you know uh, around the world. That makes even more sense that we get to see what's happened so that it sets the stage after that for what's going to be happening next. I'm just worried because this, the the preview for Far From Home looks like Europe's in good shape, <laughs> and but but then we've seen New York sort of in in shape. Yeah. during this movie so maybe there's a quick rebuild on, on earth I don't know Yeah, I'm, I was amazed how swept away I was because I rarely get swept away I'm usually pretty cynical about this stuff and I'm pretty cynical about most of these movies and most of they rarely work particularly well for me the first time yeah. usually when I revisit them and I contextualize them and I start to uh, kind of deconstruct I, I find myself enjoying them that much more this one was just an absolute pleasure from front to back like I just beamed I can't remember the last time I had this much fun in a theater and yeah. I was so surprised yeah. at how it managed to sweep me away it doesn't feel like three hours at all it's consistently funny even though it is in its own way the most emotional of all of them mm -hmm. I feel like the backlash is coming it's inevitable right and I'm it's strange to me that I'm now positioned to be on the side <laughs> of being a defender of this yeah. like I'm waiting for the backlash so that I can uh, push push back against the backlash yeah. yeah I'm curious why you said that you think the backlash is coming though um, because I think they did a pretty good job of giving I mean the one problematic mode I have seen come up is, you know, Scarlett Johansson may have teetered a little bit toward the being fridged, but at the end, she had her own little arc with it. I was very happy with it. I think there's a lot of stuff as far as representation goes that's also very awesome. I mean, she's just showing how, like, one of my favorite scenes at the final battle is the A-Force coming together, like, all the women of the Avengers coming together, which has been uh, a thing that uh, Tessa Thompson's been trying to get going for a while, too. We'll see. I mean, time will tell, but I do feel this will probably last more like Avengers 1 as far as as like a significant thing in movie history as opposed to the nitpicker we got out of uh, Ultron because it just is so genre-defining now and also such a big moment in where pop culture has gone. Here's a question for you movie guys. Do you think this is going to get any legitimate run as far as like nominations for Oscars and Golden Globes and stuff like that goes? I don't think so. I don't think I don't think it's going to have the Return of the King thing. I mean, it's possible we don't know what kind of movie year it's going to be, so maybe it sneaks in the top ten. But 
Look, I thought Infinity War was a far superior film to Black Panther, so I don't know what the fuck yeah. is going on really with, with that show. It, it probably depends on how how much Marvel and Disney decide to push it to right. the voters, right? I was thinking about this last night when I saw it for the second time, the fact that it seemed inevitable when, when Return of the King came along that it was going to get nominated for Best Picture. It, it actually almost kind of seems inevitable that maybe The Rise of Skywalker gets hmm. some Oscar nominee, you know, whatever we are, eight months out, nine months out from even seeing that wow. movie. This, to me, not only feels superior to Infinity War and Black Panther, I do think it would be a little bit of a ovation towards this entire series right. to for there to be something. The Russo brothers, Marcus and McFeely, yeah. screenplay Down, nominations. Downey Jr. nominations. Like or, yeah. or fucking Hemsworth. Yeah. I mean, think about what Hemsworth has to do in this movie, right? <laughs> Evans even can maybe get consideration. Yeah. I thought he was great. I was impressed by Evans' old guy acting. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I first saw the makeup, I was like, oh no, can Evans pull this off? But he, he got the old guy voice going yeah. really well. One thing to worry about going to this movie was... Uh, Captain Marvel and sort of how how powerful she was and how she could have been like a deus ex machina at the end or whatever but I think the way they used her and the fact that she was far away and finally like had to come in at the end and was badass at the end but not like overly powerful taking everyone's you know limelight I thought yeah. that was good she didn't save the day just because she's yeah. just because she's the most powerful yeah. they didn't just default to her yeah. obviously it's much more meaningful if Captain America and uh, Iron Man mm-hmm. are the two who kind of like have we, to we guys explain the Iron Man thing so Doctor Strange Puts up his finger, that means... He's telling him he only needs the one reality stone. No, I think no, he, no, was, no. he was saying this is the one. This is the. He said one. there's one okay. reality in which we win. Whatever. Yeah. Okay. I think he was telling him that, like, in order to win, you know what you're going to have to do. So, yeah. what does Downey Jr. Yeah. do there? So, the, the Stark gauntlets that Thanos steals and puts on is made out of the same nanotech that his yeah. suit is. What he does to fool Thanos is Thanos doesn't realize that. He probably doesn't know nanotech is on it's an Earth concept. <laughs> so, he is able to kind of nano steal it onto his you know suit time heist heist. (laughs) so you know that's that's what he does is he kind of distracts him and he's able to kind of absorb the stones into his hand and that's how he it's a clear case of nano yes it's a nano (laughs) very well while we have Anders here and me I'm very curious where Anders thinks phase four and beyond is going to go that's one of the cool things about this film is that it really doesn't give many hints as to where this is going to go obviously we're all very confused about the five year thing and how the world's going to react ah uh, I'm excited that Thor is with the Guardians of the Galaxy, just out there in space. Are we to assume space? that Thor is just going to be a character in Guardians 3? That's kind isn't, of isn't that what we all want? Yeah, yeah, I think that's what the world wants. That's, that's fucking awesome. They even, <laughs> they even dropped the internet thing as Guardians of the Galaxy, because yeah. like, that's what they kind of called Thor Ragnarok, because yeah. it kind of had yeah. that comedic inspiration. Um, you think that's the title? No, no, no. They, as they, they say that in the movie. Oh, no, I, I know. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember him saying it, and I was like, why don't we just call it that? I, I think some people referred to Thor Ragnarok somewhat snarkily as... As Guardians of the Galaxy, because they kind of pivoted that direction. I'm excited to see what Doctor Strange 2 and Black Panther 2 look like with this. Or, and the Black Widow movie has to be a prequel. Like, that's clearly what's going on with that, because she. Clearly. And that's the one I want. I want her in Russia. You know, I want her and Jeremy Renner running around in Budapest and stuff like that. I just want a spy movie. I want a down and dirty heist spy movie. And eventually things will have to fall out of the sky, unfortunately. But we'll get a little bit of spy out of it. As far as I'm concerned, you know, I'm, I'm always this guy where I'm like, this is perfect. We did it. Let's end it right here. (laughs) But but I realize that's not that's not the world we live in. 
Ryan, yeah. in, in your perfect world, like, does does this just keep going? Like, comic books keep going? Do you think they'll ever, in 20 years, I think they'll just reboot from the very beginning? I do think this Disney Plus stuff is going to complicate things, as well as having the X-Men rights. Disney Plus makes it very, very complicated, and as well as a whole Fox merger. I will say, I have bad news for Matt that I know he's less interested in the space stuff, and what this and all the things they're saying now, between Eternals coming up, relegating some of the more Earthbound characters to Disney Plus. I think where they're probably going to end up having to go, especially if maybe in Phase Five, which I can't believe I'm saying this, they're not going to have it in Phase Four because of how it worked out with Fox. But I think where it's going to end up going is that we have Fantastic Four is very space oriented, and already between Eternals and things like that, I think it's going to keep getting bigger and bigger, which is hard to say. I and mean, something I was talking about with one of my uh, good friends and fellow comic book nerd buddy Pete when we saw this. This goes to as big as to the point where eventually you start seeing a character named Eternity, who's literally the universe as a character. That's where we haven't even glimpsed yet, and that's what makes me excited, that I don't know where this is going to go. It could be bigger, which is crazy. I hate to say that, but it could be even more galactic, but we're also getting a Shang-Chi movie, which makes me very excited to have some Asian representation. So, you know, we'll see where this all goes. I'm very excited for the Adam McKay Silver Surfer movie that they're threatening to make. Adam McKay has claimed that's the movie he wants to make, and, you know, him and Fiji are friends. Like, yes, give me that. That's awesome. If I could make one suggestion to anybody who's even remotely interested in comics, if you've not read the last awesome Silver Surfer run, that exactly shows where I want these things to go, where it's galactic, but it's still small stories. And that's a run with like uh, Mike Allred at the helm, uh, written by Dan Slott. That shows where we're still forward thinking. The fact that we have a lot of these young characters introduced, you know, between Pepper Potts getting an Iron Man suit and Morgan being introduced there, have Cassie Lang, who potentially could grow up to be an Avenger. I mean, this whole thing is all about legacy. And the fact that we didn't kill off Steve Rogers means he's still kind of around as a mentor figure if we ever need him for an expensive cameo. I don't know where it could go and that's what's most exciting. And I do think this Disney Plus thing, you know, it's going to be complicated but it, it does give some opportunity to tell stories that wouldn't make sense, you know, on the big screen. I, I do think the X-Men thing is going to be really interesting whether they integrate that with the Marvel characters, with the phases. They're inevitably going to have to but I think the beauty of X-Men coming into it is as Fantastic Four takes this into a thing that's more outer space, the X-Men will inevitably keep it very earthbound and we can deal with more of the social implications that it's always been an allegory for and that's what's good about having that in it's just you gotta separate the fact that you know Disney is taking over everything and probably never get to see uh, Wolverine smoking a cigar because they have anti-smoking rules Honors and I have been discussing this I don't know how big a possibility apparently there's some rumblings but my dream for the X-Men is that Disney Plus has a Game of Thrones X-Men style show that is a fantastic idea right like that would be the best way to reintroduce characters at your own pace. Right, and then you can have the sprawling because yeah. there are so many interesting minor characters in that corner of yeah. too. And then even and then you can have like Storm pop up in Black Panther 2 yeah, or right. Rogue pop up in Captain Marvel 2 and that's yeah. how she gets her powers. You know, stuff like that. You can organically kind of plug them into the movies as they evolve on the show. Right? Multimedia synergy. Yeah. Um, it was interesting to see the uh, Dark Phoenix trailer before this and to just feel a collective yawn yeah. in the theater. Yeah. You know, like people could not care less about this movie. Have you heard the rumblings about that movie? Just that it's bad? Just horrible, just unwatchable. Yeah. It looks bad. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sure it'll be bad. It's been getting worse and worse since first class, and that I'm glad that this run has is... has not been. Days of Future Past. Days of Future Past is great, but that's an outlier movie. Yeah. Apocalypse is basically unwatchable. Yeah. So it's like everybody's tuned out. Nobody cares about this anymore. So yeah, let's let's end this. But it was just so funny to see we're all here to see Infinity War, and we couldn't care less about, uh, yeah. about the X-Men. So yeah, it's time to reboot that for sure. It's just funny that they've made, you know, what, 
seven main thread X Men movies, and the two shittiest ones are both the Dark Phoenix run, which is yeah. very yeah. yeah, which is the iconic X Men story, and then they fuck it up twice. Can we just briefly? I know you got to get on the road. Yeah. Can we just briefly talk about the final aspects of I think three characters in this Dark uh, Dark Phoenix, uh, Black <laughs> Widow goes down. Tony Stark goes down. Captain America basically takes himself out of the game. I mean, Tony Stark, Captain America, I think everybody had sort of been predicting anyway for a long time now. Anybody predict that Black Widow was going to go out in such dramatic fashion? I mean, that one that one hurt, right? She's yeah. one of my favorites. That one, that one surprised me by launch, especially because we know that there's a movie coming, and maybe that was why they kind of, you know, gave her an out in that reason. Yeah, that, that one surprised me. I, I think we all could kind of talk at length what people have already been talking about, how the ending of for Captain America and Iron Man are very obvious and poetic and well thought out. But yeah, I kind of am a little bummed that we lost Black Widow as a character, especially because some of my favorite parts of her development is right at the end, where she ends up becoming sort of the de facto, the new Nick Fury for a brief moment in the future. And I think that's a really cool dynamic that I'm kind of bummed that we won't see be developed, but you know, we'll see it. At least we get a cool spy movie coming up. And I thought that was kind of one of the, uh, the bigger kind of twists in the film. There's, I thought that they were setting up Renner to sacrifice himself based on kind of him cold-blooded murdering a bunch of Yakuza's. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. Just, yeah. just going around the world murdering drug dealers and stuff. Yeah, um, and, uh, so I was like, well, you know, he's got, you know, to use the Marvel term, too much red on his ledger now, so he's probably going to be one to sacrifice himself. And then... Unfortunately, his Disney Plus show comes That's out, right. So. With, uh, <laughs> yeah. Probably introducing Kate Bishop yeah. and handing the I mean, it's weird to think, like, these decisions yeah, of who's going to go is kind of cynical, right? right? It's like, okay, Black Widow, we have enough in her past to pull from that we can make these movies right. whether it's one or two or three mm-hmm. she's not needed in the future right well I was conflicted about it at the time but in retrospect I think to myself you know she doesn't have any superpowers so in that regard she's I feel like she's been struggling to justify herself for a long time in terms of how she fits into the grand scheme of things but she's mortal so yeah. she has that going for her so she can use that she can sacrifice herself right. she mm-hmm. can make the, and she's been a haunted character throughout this whole thing right yeah, yeah. so it's like now she can sleep now she sure. can rest she can yeah. she can do the one thing that she has to offer at this point. The Tony Stark thing, I feel like that's just been inevitable for so long. And as much as I like Downey, I feel like that has run its course mm-hmm. yeah. in a number for a number of reasons. And so it's like, yes, again, time to sleep. Put him to sleep. Yeah. And they did it in a very classy way. I'm worried about Downey. What's he going to do now? Like, yeah. the last... Dr. Doolittle. He's the new Dr. Doolittle now, which is weird. But, um, but I thought that send-off was really nice, and the funeral was a nice mm-hmm. reason to bring all these people together. You guys know who that kid is standing at the funeral? Yeah. Iron Man 3, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize. I had to read an article about it earlier today. Uh, but I thought that was a fun That's little callback yeah. for Iron Man 3. And then, mostly, I just brought this up because I just want to talk about the Captain America ending, who I think has, you know, emerged. At, RJ, you're saying that, uh, you know, Captain America, the first Avenger is your favorite of the films. This is the conclusion of the arc that started with that. They set this up in Captain America, the first Avenger. I still maintain that is the best ending. And so about halfway through this movie, I'm not exactly sure at what point it clicked for me. Maybe it's when he saw Peggy when they went back to the 70s. But all of a sudden, it became clear to me how the only way that this movie could end. And maybe the reason that I love this movie so much is because they paid it off. That last scene is exactly what I wanted from that journey. The fact that a movie about, you know, spaceships and superpowers and explosions and, you know, galactic bullshit ends with this guy finally having a dance in this little Rambler house in the 40s. It's just, it was just a beautiful thing to me. I just love the idea of, of Captain America deciding not to go back in time or, or go back to the future, right? Putting it on his calendar is like, okay, i got to be on this bench looking longingly. <laughs> yeah, 2023. Yeah, 2023. I'd be ready. And i got to sneak around. i got to sneak around. He's going to be super dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> 
And uh, <laughs> just to speak a little on the cap arc, I, you know, probably like when this whole endeavor began, like everyone was like, I don't know, can you make a Captain America movie yeah, work? America can you make about. the character work in like these modern times? And Evans, to his credit, was so good at just playing him as kind of this earnest, good-hearted, you know, he's not, not, not ever cynical about it. Like, he, he, he really... He did get hardened as the time yes, went on. Yes, but though, like right? that was part of his arc. Yeah. And, and, you know, for Captain America to kind of become not just... In, in this country, but like worldwide, this like you know character that resonated with people, and you know people loved his story and where, how it evolved. Like I, that is just a testament to how they plotted and planned this whole thing all the way yeah. through. My favorite part about this whole arc that he's had is the reason why the first Avenger is my favorite is because in the end of the day, it's not just superheroes; it's heroes. And I love the Ashok's nature that he brings. I think it's the thing that we miss the most out of DC is having a good guy out of Superman and having someone that just does right no matter what. And it's something that is valuable to have in uh, a long-running series about heroes. you got to have somebody that is the moral compass. And I'm fascinated to see where that goes in the future, because now that we don't have this guy that has uh, an emotional romantic arc and has this diehard moral compass, it's all dealing a little more grays. And that to me is actually the one thing that I'm kind of afraid of, is that if we don't have hands on his, uh, fists on his haunches, sort of hero, hero, where do we get that all from? I'm hoping that it comes in the form of like a phase five, like Mr. Fantastic Reed Richards or something like that. It all makes it very exciting to see where this goes. Cyclops kind of can fill that role. He's kind of Boy Scout. Yeah. The fact, the fact that they can make it, that they could make that the Captain America character work in these cynical times, that they could explore his journey in this fashion, that we could see Evans develop as an actor over the course of the last decade, and the fact that he could emerge as a lot of people's favorite, and that they could finally give him that emotional payoff in this fashion as the final word on this yeah. Infinity series is. Um, is a big deal. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, th- I think we could go on this Captain America thing forever, but like, talk about Boy Scout moral compass stuff. I, but he's still like, he's hard headed in his own way. Like watching Civil War, he's like, kind of wrong. I just, I side with, yeah, yeah. with Tony yeah. during Civil yeah. War. Oh, right? interesting. Even yeah. though it's a Captain America movie, yeah, it is funny when he when he's fighting himself, which is a wonderful metaphor. The fact that yeah. he's he the he's the hardened version fighting the version who still is more altruistic, right? Yeah, like yeah. he's. He's fighting the older version of himself, and there's just, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of meta stuff going on there. You want to bring us home? Yeah, let's face this off. Um, anybody have any quick, quick final thoughts here? No. Or uh, how about how about plugs? Plugs, plugs for your for your various uh, places of business, for your various restaurants. Oh yes, um, <laughs> we are podcasting right across the street from uh, Skull Beer Hall. Come check us out, Ballard, Seattle, Washington. How about you, Mister? Wow. Uh, Highland Park restaurant tour. Yeah, if you're anyone's ever in the Northeast LA uh, region of Highland Park and want to uh, talk to a bartender about Marvel movies and more, come to uh, ETA or the Greyhound. Well, thanks, guys. This has been a fun endgame podcast. Ryan Honors, appreciate it so much. We'll have you guys back yeah. uh, for Spider Man Far From Home. Let's just make this a regular occurrence. Love it. Thanks for having us. Count me in. Thanks for having us, guys. All right. Thanks, guys. And this has been uh, We Like Movies. Say goodbye, Matt. Goodbye, Matt. I feel that I should say But words can wait Until some other day Kiss me once, then kiss me twice Then kiss me once again It's been a long, long time 
Haven't felt like this, my dear, since can't remember when It's been a long, long time You'll never know how many dreams I dream about you Or just how empty they all seem without you Kiss me once, then kiss me twice, then kiss me once again. It's been a long, long time.